Good morning. Good to see everyone here this morning. I hope I have something to say that would benefit you in some way. Before I get started, if you don't have Facebook, I'm sorry I was not here last week. But I got a call from Brother Luke Adair, and he asked if I would come speak for them in Concord, and I did that for him. Um, he sends his love to everyone. He says he is praying for the work here and asks us to pray for the work there in Concord. And he said hopefully he'll be able to be with us at some point in the not-too-far future. But this morning, the song that Brother Zach led leads right into the sermon we're going to talk on this morning. We're continuing our study of the book of Joshua. And I'm going to pick up in chapter 3, and we're going to cover chapter 3 and 4 today, which is the crossing of the River Jordan. You know, up until this point, the children of Israel had been roaming for 40 years in a desert place. It wasn't fun. All the adults at the time that had refused to go into the promised land were all gone. They were no more. Joshua and the other spy were the only ones that were left. Moses didn't even get to enter the promised land. You know, sometimes I think it's kind of a cruel joke Moses God played on Moses. I'll let you look at it, but you're not going to go in and get to inhabit it. That's kind of like God saying, I'll let you look at heaven, but you're not going to be able to get in there. I always found that kind of odd. But now they come up to the River Jordan. And at this time of year, the River Jordan is overflowing. And I picture a raging river just rushing. Has a current, amazing current. You wouldn't want to go tubing on this river. It has such a current. And then they camp there for three days. You know, that's kind of a thing we could cover. They were there for three days. Just as the apostles waited for Christ to rise for three days. And God commanded them and He said, I want you to take the Ark of the Covenant carried by the priests. And I want you all to follow about 2,000 cubits behind because you don't know where you're going. You don't know where I'm going to take you. You haven't been there before. So I want you to follow a little bit further behind. That way if we take a turn, you can see it ahead and we can just follow on. You know, whenever I'm training bus drivers, we do things that are called field trips. And we go to some places in Dallas and Fort, downtown Fort Worth. And I tell the people that are following, if you don't know where you're going, don't be right up on the bus in front of you because they could make a turn at any time and you're not going to know it. And that's what God's telling me. Saying, Stay a little bit behind because you don't know where you're going. And right as the priest's feet touched the edge of the water, because like I said, it was overflowing at the time, that raging river with all that current just went... It split. And the people were able to pass through the River Jordan. Now, while the river was split, God gave a commandment. He said, I want you to send a man from each tribe to pick up a stone, 12 stones. And you're going to stack them up wherever, you are, wherever you're camped at as a memorial. Not only that, Joshua put 12 stones where the priest's feet were at. So he built two memorials that day. And as soon as the, they got the stones out that they needed, Joshua told the priest, okay, go ahead and come on across. And as soon as they stepped on dry land, the river went back just the way it was. It was overflowing and rushing again. Now, that's a pretty amazing story, isn't it? You know, we don't talk about this crossing a lot. We'll talk about the one at the Red Sea a lot. But we don't talk about this one nearly as often as I think we should. 
You know, there's a lot of ways we can go with this. There's a lot of different sermons you can get out of this story. But what I was asked to focus on this morning was building a memorial. You know, we all build a memorial in our life. Now, I imagine the stones they pulled out of the river were a little bit bigger than those. Because it said they had to put them on their shoulders as they carried them across. But we're going to talk about building a memorial today. We all build memorials with our lives to one thing or another. You're building a memorial with your life today. and It's either going one way or the other. And we'll get into that a little bit later. Well, first of all, what do we think of when we think of a memorial? You know, that's the Marine Memorial. The United States Marine Memorial. That's a very famous picture that they have of the men playing the flag at Iwo Jima. And they made a memorial out of it. We can go see that. Abraham Lincoln's memorial in Washington. The president who got us through the Civil War. You can go see that monument today in Washington if you wanted to go see it. This picture didn't come out as clear as I would like, but that's the Vietnam Wall in Washington. To all the men and women that lost their lives in Vietnam, each name is etched on that wall that runs there. The picture didn't come out as clear as I thought it would, but... That is what that is. And you can go see that Washington D.C. You can go see all the names. If you know somebody that fought over there and they died, you can go find their name on the wall. That's what we kind of think of when we think of memorials, isn't it? Or maybe we think of something like this. This is Bose Eichard. Served with me four years on the good night loving trail, never shirked a duty or disobeyed an order, rode with me in many stampedes, Participated in three engagements with Comanche. Splendid behavior. Charles Goodnight. If that sounds a little bit familiar to you Lonesome Dove fans, that's the guy that Larry McMurtry based Deets on. And that is the exact epitaph that they wrote for him. This is a real guy. You can go over to Weatherford, Texas and see this. What would your epitaph say today? Would it be something like that? Never shirked a responsibility? Splendid behavior? I would like that, but it's probably not going to be written about me. But that's what we think of when we think of memorials. Something to honor someone for something that they've done. Well, let's read about some memorials in the Bible real quick. If you look in Matthew chapter 26, you'll find this story. And it starts in verse 6. And when Jesus came in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil. And she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. But when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why why this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. But when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done good work for me. For you have the poor with you always. But me you do not have always. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. Assuredly I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. That's from Jesus. She did a good thing for me. And wherever the gospel is taught, this story will be told as a memorial to her. And that was just something as simple as anointing the head of Jesus with oil. It wasn't something that is inherently great. 
as we would think of greatness, all she did was anoint his head with oil. The, the thing that I found funny is that the disciples got indignant about it. That means they were mad about it. Because this oil could have been sold and it could have been given to the poor. But Jesus said, no, she has done a good thing for me. And wherever the gospel is taught, her story will be told. And we're talking about her today. You know, when we think of memorials, we think of something great and grand. Something that we can go see. Something big. It's not always the big things that God's looking for in the memorial you give to Him. It's not something big and great that you have to do. Just something as simple as anointing the Savior's head is all it took this woman. And that was the memorial she gave to Christ. And Christ said, as a memorial to her, this story is going to be told wherever the gospel is preached. Another memorial in the Bible. That's a very famous painting of the Last Supper. That's a memorial. We show the death and suffering of our Savior through the Lord's Supper. That's a memorial. Why do we do that? Because He did something so great for us that we want to honor it in some way. And He commanded us to show His death until He came again. That's a memorial. There are many other memorials in the Bible we could talk about. But sometimes what I think gets lost in the shuffle is what is a memorial really for? What are those memorials in Washington, D.C. that we showed earlier? What are they really for? If you look in Joshua chapter 4, starting verse 21, I believe God gives us the answer what He wanted this memorial to be for. Then He spoke to the children of Israel, saying, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What are these stones? Then ye shall let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over the Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan before you until you had crossed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which He dried up before us crossed over, that all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. When your children ask. You know, the people that were there that day didn't need a memorial to remember. <laughs> they saw it. They were there when the waters parted. They didn't need that memorial. They knew it was there. They knew what happened there. But God said, when your children ask you, it's for future generations. Do the people that live with Abraham Lincoln really need a memorial to remember what he did? But no, people are going to ask questions about it, and that way it's not forgotten. And another function that that memorial served was that all the peoples of earth may know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. That was the other purpose of that memorial. That people would know how mighty God was that He parted those waters. That He made His people to walk through on dry land. That God had the power to do that and nobody else did. That's what a memorial is for. The memorial that we gave Abraham Lincoln, it was a memorial of what he did for this country, what great things he did for this country. The memorial for God was how powerful God was in causing those waters to part. On the children part of it, though, we can also go over to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And starting in verse 4, he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And all, and these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house. When you walk up by the way, when you lie down and when you get up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the your house and on your gates. Are we living that kind of memorial where we're teaching our children diligently the words of the Lord? You know, diligently is a big, is a big kind of word. That means I do it without fail. I do it every day and I never stop. I'm diligent about it. Do you write the words of the Lord on your heart like it says here? Do you put it on the post of your house? You know, many of us have another quote from this book that I believe somebody's going to cover later. Choose this day who you're going to serve. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Many of us have that in our houses or other great biblical verses in our houses. But do we actually live by them? Or is it just something nice that we just hang up and it looks good? What kind of memorial are you building? You know, all these pictures I showed you earlier, they were all done for things that people had done for us. Great things people had done. Why would we want to live our lives in a memorial to God? Why would we want to do that? Why would we want to build a memorial for God? I believe it's sitting right in front of you today. He gave us His only Son without hesitation. The only perfect human being there ever was. That way my sins could be forgiven. That's why you want to build a memorial to God. It's not because of something great He did on this earth, even though He created everything on it. It's for what He did 2,000 years ago on a cross. Well then, let's take a look. What type of memorial are you building? You know, I said earlier that you're either building one type of a memorial or another. There's only two types of memorials you can build. Well, which type are you building? If you look in Luke 16 and 13, no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You know, too many times today, people build their memorial of their life to mammon, to things of the world. You know, there's another scripture. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust does corrupt, where thieves do not break through and steal. Or you can build up treasure on earth where moth and rust does corrupt and thieves break through and steal. Where's your treasure at? Where's your memorial at? You're only building one or the other. You can't build both. That's not an option. As God said, you can't serve both of them. So where, what type of memorial are you building today? Are you building one in the world? Are you building one of the things of the world? Or are you building one for God? You know, it's kind of important which one you're building. Because if you're building it out of the world, that's all going to pass away one day and it's not going to, nothing's going to be left standing. But if you build a memorial for God, you'll have a hope in heaven of eternal life that will not pass away. 
But if you build your memorial here, it'll all be gone one day. All those great memorials I showed to Abraham Lincoln, the Vietnam Wall, the Marine Memorial, they'll all be gone one day. But the memorial I build to God will stand forever. The memorial I build to God will be there forever. Well, how do I start building this memorial to God then? I believe it's found here in this verse. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Offer your body a living sacrifice. Don't do what I always want to do, because what I always want to do isn't what God always wants me to do. But sacrifice of myself, that I'm going to do what God wants me to do. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. I'm not going to do what I want to do. And that's how you begin building that memorial to God. You submit to His will. You say, my will is yours. I'll do whatever you want me to do. My life is yours. I've sacrificed my life to you. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. And that's how you start. So then I have a question for you this morning. Why is the type of memorial important for us? Besides the salvation, we want salvation. We all want to have eternal life. But besides that point, why is the memorial important? You know, there's a lot of different answers you might give. But to me, it comes down to two things. And they're both right there. If they follow my example, where is it going to lead them to? If they ask me questions of why I do things, is it going to be because that's what Jesus wants us, me, wants us to do? Or is it going to be because, well, that's the way the world works, son. That's why we had to do it that way. That's the way the world works. Am I going to have the guts to tell them, no, I, you know what? I shouldn't have done that. That's not what Jesus wanted me to do. I should not have done that. You know, there are many kids sitting here today You know, I remember when Braxton, seems like yesterday, we were just bringing him home from the hospital. Now he's eight years old. My time's almost halfway gone with him. If he follows my example, where's it going to lead him? Zach and Kat have a beautiful daughter. Where is that example going to lead her? John has two boys. Where's his example going to lead him? What memorial are they going to look at? Are they going to look at one that was built to God or are they going to look at one that was built to the world? What example are you leaving? What memorial are you leaving behind that people can go and look and go, he did it for God or he did it for himself? You know, Yancey has a granddaughter over there. Where's that example going to lead her? He has three other kids. Where's that his example going to lead them? You know, sometimes I pray in my prayers that our example will lead them to the throne of God because that's what I want. But do I want it bad enough to build the proper type of memorial with my life? To sacrifice what I want to do and in favor of what God wants to do? You know, if you have kids, that's that could be pretty heavy to think about. Where is my example leading these children? You know, does that mean you're going to be perfect? No. I don't believe that at all. 
But there was a man in, that went to church in Gunner named Brother Roy Hazelton. And he gave up and gave a lesson on children. And he said one thing. He said, don't be afraid to be honest with them. If you mess up, let them know. Let them know, I shouldn't have done that. And we're going to do better in the future. That's something I shouldn't have done when they ask why. You know what's amazing? Kids' favorite question is, why? Why are we doing this? Why do we want to do this? Why? Why? I mean, if I could count the number of times my kids have asked me why, it would be an astronomical number. I mean, I don't even know if I could write down as many zeros if they've asked why. And you know what? A good answer is not because I said so. And I've been guilty of saying that before. I, I have. That's not a good answer. Why are we going to church, Jack? Well, because I said so. That's not good. Be honest with them. This, Jesus died for you and we're going to worship the person that died for you. Whenever you mess up, I should not have done that. I am going to try to do better because that is not what, how Jesus wants us to act. That's not how God wants us to act. You know, it's a pretty big responsibility when you think about it. And they're watching you every day. You may not know it, but they're looking at you every day. They're remembering what you do. And they're remembering the answers you give. I remember one time I'd done something and I told Braxton there was a reason for that. And the next time I did something different, he goes, well, why'd you do it different that way? Well, because there was different circumstances. I had to explain the circumstances. But they remember. It's not like they're just going to forget all this stuff. You know, I remember stories about my dad from the time I was about five years old. I remember stories about my mom from the time I was about five years old. And the ones I don't remember, people have told me about. What kind of memorial are we leaving for these kids? You know, are we just bringing them to church on Sunday? Oh, that'll be good enough. As long as we're here on Sunday morning, we're good. (laughs) If the only time your kids see you worshiping God is on Sunday mornings, you are failing. That is not a passing grade. They need to see your selfless sacrifice to God on a daily basis. Not just on Sunday mornings or Sunday evenings or Wednesday evenings or whenever you choose to go to church. They need to see it in the morning when they wake up and they need to see it in the evening when they go to bed. I believe that is the problem that this nation has run into. They're expecting the church to set the example for their children on one hour a day. And then wondering why their lives end up all mixed mixed up. you got to show them on a daily basis. You know, this, all this talk about children reminds me of the story of Joseph and the coat of many colors. He was sold into slavery, as you remember, by his brothers because they were jealous of him. He ended up in Egypt where he rose into great power and there became, there started to have a famine in the land. So Joseph's father rounds up his brothers and tells them to go into Egypt and try to get some food because Egypt had been storing food. 
And Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them. They didn't recognize Joseph. So Joseph said, don't you have one more brother? And they go, yeah, we have Benjamin, but dad is very fond of him. He's the youngest. And Joseph said, well, go get your little brother and then I'll give you what you ask. So they went home and got Benjamin and they brought him back. And Joseph had planted some things in Benjamin's bag. And then as they were leaving, they told the guards to search him. And sure enough, they found it there. And they said, take him to prison. And then the oldest brother said something that I think about on a daily basis with my kids. How can I go to my father and the lad be not with me? How can I go to my father in heaven and my kids not make it? That is a scary thought. That is a thought I do not like thinking about. That is a thought that makes me shudder. But what am I doing about it? Am I living the kind of example that will lead these kids with me? Or am I setting an example that's setting them up to fall? And we can only answer that for ourselves. I don't know what y'all all do in your home lives. I know I heard Zach talking when we were doing a song leading that somebody requested Jesus loves me. He said he sang that to his daughter every night. And I encourage you to keep doing that. But as far as that, that's the only thing I've heard that what y'all do with y'all's kids in y'all's own life. I can see through some of the kids that we have here that you're doing a pretty good job. I'm not here to say you're doing a horrible job this morning. What I'm here to say is really think about it. Because it's the most important job you'll have here on earth. How can you go to your father and the lad be not with you? If we can help you, won't you come as we stand and sing?